Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. A Gallup poll last month showed that 42% of voters identified themselves as independent. A Pew Research poll found that 39% said they are independent. Last year, an NBC News poll indicated that the fastest growing block of voters are independents. But are they truly independent, and what does that mean in a presidential election year when both major party candidates are unpopular and need independent voters? Our guest today has written recently about uh, independent voters. We're going to discuss independence and a lot of other topics surrounding the presidential race with Dr. E. Fletcher McClellan, professor of political science at Elizabethtown College. Dr. McClellan, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. If you have a question or comment, we'd like to hear your thoughts. Anyone out there registered as independent? If so, why? Have you thought about it, especially this year? 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, let's ask the big question. All those people, as the NBC poll said, the fastest growing block of voters are independent, or at least they say they're independent. Are they really? Well, they are and they aren't. Uh, we can define independence in two ways. One is, you know, psychologically how people feel, uh, you know, where they sit, situate themselves on the political spectrum. And I have no doubt that those who say that they are independent, you know, really believe that they are. Uh, we can also look at independence, though, uh, behaviorally. And behaviorally, we might look at an independent as someone who uh, splits their ticket. Um, you know, between the president or the governor and legislative races or other down-ballot races. Uh, they might support third parties. They might support a major party, one major party, one year and another, uh, another year. Uh, they would be swing voters. So uh, when you compare self-identified independents to their actual behavior, uh, there are actually fewer independents than what you would believe. If, if, when you look at independent population itself, and there are a lot of studies that have done this, uh, if you press them further and ask them, well, do you lean one way, you know, Republican or Democratic, you know, all but you know, a, a small percentage will say that they lean. So less, less than 10% of self-described independents are so-called true independents. And what we, find, what we found over the last uh, you know, couple of decades at least is that uh, when you look at these independents, independent leaners, and compare them to partisans, uh, there really isn't very much difference. Uh, attitudinally, ideologically, and in the way they vote, they vote the same way uh, as most partisans. And if you look at the remainder, the you know say the less than ten percent that are you know quote unquote you know true independents, uh, these tend to be the least informed voters, least involved, least likely to vote. So, uh, uh, you know, so uh, th that's the paradox. Well, a couple of things you said that I'd like to follow up on. Um, you wrote a recent column in uh, Penn Live, an op-ed, mm -hmm. where you said that uh, being partisan is not necessarily a bad thing. And you kind of touched on that, but why? Well, when you look at partisans, and this goes back, social uh, research uh, you know, goes back to the 1930s, 1940s, uh, partisans tend to be the most informed voters and most involved. And in a democracy, you want people to be informed and involved. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> they come at this from a from a from an angle. But you know, 
we there are partisans everywhere. We have Phillies fans. We have Steelers fans. We have Nittany Lions fans. And those people will know, you know, they'll know records, statistics, the players. They'll know about the draft, about uh, recruitment. And, uh, you know, they follow it very uh, assiduously. So, um, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong that with having informed voters. But it's when, you know, partisanship gets to the extreme where, you know, you're demonizing, you know, the other party or the other team. And, of course, you know, we have partisans who do this. Anyone, you know, uh, you know, people who don't like the Dallas Cowboys and people who do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you chose that one. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion on that one. That, yeah. There really is. And sometimes it leads to, you know, uh, you know un, unfan-like behavior. So uh, uh, there, and by the way, when a lot of these studies came out back in the 40s and 50s about, you know, Partisanship and only a small percentage of people really are that well informed. Uh, the argument was made: well, maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing, because if everybody gets involved and everyone becomes partisan, then you have you know the possibility for uh, very destructive social movements. And this is in you know this is in the uh, uh, in the wake of the rise of fascism and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 McCarthyism and things like that. So you don't want to you don't want a, a, a population uh, that is uh, you know over involved and over uh, hyper partisanized. Uh, now th that changed in the 1960s when you had social movements coming, you know, which you know seemed to indicate that you know social activism increased political participation could lead to uh, you know positive changes, but. Uh, um, yeah. Well, polarization, mm -hmm. partisanship is one thing. Right. But the, the world we live in today is very polarized. Right. Uh, and, and you've said that the two major political parties, uh, that, that people are, and we're talking about Americans, obviously, uh, divided along ideological lines. And the, the two parties are viewed that way. What do you mean by that? Well, this has been a, you know, a gradual process, but uh, you know, since I think at least the 1960s, we've had kind of a sorting out of the parties into ideological camps. Uh, you know, historically, at least if you look at, at you know, so the post post World War II and and even before from the Civil War, you know, until the 1960s, uh, our political parties were fairly. Uh, heterogeneous. You had conservative, you know, Southern Democrats. Right. You had liberal, moderate Republicans in the Northeast. You know, and there were remnants like Senator Specter uh, that were with us until very recently. So, uh, but since the 1960s, we've seen a sorting out of the parties into genuine ideological conservative and liberal parties, and uh, and this has become amplified then in. Uh, what's been going on in Washington. And, you know, if you look at the 1990s, for example, um, you know, we see a sharp increase in partisan voting uh, in Congress. Uh, this coincides with Newt Gingrich, the con contract with America, uh, you know, sort of amping up the, um, the stakes in control of Washington, and this, of course, led to a government shutdown, impeachment of the president, and kind of culminated with the uh, uh, disputed election of, of 2000. And from that point on, and there are a lot of factors that have contributed to this, which we can which we can talk about, talk about uh, 
as we know, uh, Washington has been really in a state of partisan gridlock where one side, and I think especially the Republicans, have really uh, refused to cooperate with uh, with the other side. And the reason I pointed the Republicans is that they've had disputes within themselves. Uh, you know, they threw out, you know, Speaker ba- Boehner, uh, uh, Majority Leader Cantor, uh, and the you know, argument was, you know, should we be uh, sleeping with the enemy? Should we be uh, compromising with, uh, with, uh, with President Obama? And, uh, and, you know, and if you've you know, heard Speaker Boehner since uh, leaving office, he's had you know, no uh, love for his opponents who you know, have taken a very hard line. You mentioned Senator Specter, and uh, Senator Specter actually wrote a book about this uh, after he was uh, defeated. And toward the end of his career especially, and he's not the only one, uh, but there were several re- Republicans who are considered moderates who were called derisively as rhinos, mm-hmm. Republican in name only, and when you were talking about demonizing, that's what it became. It was like if you were, if there was a Republican who looked at you as, uh, they didn't look at you as a moderate. They looked at you as a liberal and in bed with the other side, with with Democrats, and being called a rhino was, and still is, and still is considered a, a, a real big put down. But, and you have uh, Republicans and who are really afraid to go out on a limb because of fear of being primaried uh, by you know harder line uh, conservatives uh, accusing them of being rhinos. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a phone call from Zach sure. in Shippensburg. Zach, you're on the line. Oh, hello. I wasn't expecting to be live this morning, but well, how are you guys? We're doing well. Good morning. Good morning. So you guys asked uh, for callers. Um, you know, who are registered independents. Yes. Um, I am. I am one of those. Um, and the reason why is because I, I truly believe that um, it's our obligation as voting Americans to voice our opinions. And as the years have gone, I've, I've been a voter since around 1990. Um, I've just found that the more I've looked into it, I'm, I'm becoming more and more disenfranchised. And as I study, uh, you know, any kind of symbiotic relationship on a planet, if you play out the extremes, which is what's happening in our political system, it it really becomes a monstrosity. And I think that this last uh, presidential cycle, or the current presidential cycle, is an example. I mean, it's, it's gridlock. It's no good. And not, what I'm finding is that neither party really truly reflects where I'm coming from as a forward-thinking person working in technology, raising a family. Hmm living in South Central Pennsylvania. You know, the, the Democrats don't really reflect my values on um, necessarily on immigration or gun control, and the Republicans don't necessarily really represent my interests as far as, um, you know, community and the way I feel of, about my country and social issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm glad you brought those things up because I was going to ask you about uh, whether uh, there were things in both parties that either you liked or didn't like. But let me ask you this, Zach. Uh, when did you, when you decided to, or, now are you registered as an independent? I am registered as an independent. And as you guys mentioned earlier, um, I do I do have uh, 
mostly Democratic leaning. Okay. Well, that was my next question. So I don't even have to ask the question, Zach. Hey, thank you very much for your call. You know, he sounds typically mm-hmm. as what you've been describing. Right. Um, and I would have asked him, you know, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit this one out? I are you going to, yeah, are you going to hold your nose and you know vote for Hillary? Or are you looking for a third party? Do the Greens, uh, you know, appeal to you at all? So, uh, uh, yeah, I, as I said, I think independents certainly have very good reasons, very good reasons for declaring themselves. I think a lot of it is connected to just a pure disdain of extreme partisanship and uh, bickering and political infighting, negative advertising, negative partisanship. I think people just don't want to be associated with it. I think in some ways it's, you know, socially uh, unacceptable. Um, you know, those are thing. there are things, as you know, we don't discuss uh, generally in social uh, circles, that is, you know, politics and religion, but it comes out like, you know, every Thanksgiving when your drunk uncle, you know, <laughs> starts to, uh, uh, you know, hold, hold forth on, on his opinions. But uh, so socially and actually we're seeing with partisanship, and I think you probably have read studies like this, you know, people are sorting themselves out socially. You know, Democrats hanging out, living in areas where they're only Democrats, uh, Republicans uh, socializing only Republicans, Republican parents or Democratic parents who say they would be upset if their son or daughter, you know, married uh, someone from the opposition party. So it's it's gotten to, to that extent. So not wanting to be associated, you know, uh, you know, socially with extreme partisanship, I think is part of it. I also think, you know, culturally, um, you know, we've always celebrated, you know, we're, we're a nation of individuals, rugged individualism, you know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and maybe more to the point, um, Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the, the citizen uh, outsider, uh, naive but idealistic, and you know, but who is you know, by just sheer common sense and decency is going to clean up a very corrupt uh, Washington or Harrisburg for that matter. And, you know, and those sorts of uh, that has an appeal to us, whether it was Ross Perot or uh, Tom Wolfe. Or even, or even Donald Trump, for that matter. There is that aspect that uh, appeals to our sense of sort of citizenship above all. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Dr. E. Fletcher McClellan, professor of political science at Elizabethtown College. We're discussing whether independent voters truly are independent. We'd like to hear from you independents out there. Maybe you're registered independent. Maybe you're thinking you're an independent. In Pennsylvania, because independents can't vote in the primary, there are many people who consider themselves independent but register with one part or the other. And we'll talk to Dr. McClellan about that in just a moment. We'd like to hear from you. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call. You can also send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can go to social media and uh, go on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a phone call from Phil in Carlisle. Phil, you're on the air. Howdy. Hi. Good morning. So to answer your previous questions that you had on here, I consider myself a Rockefeller Republican because hmm. I'm very much socially progressive. When it comes to fiscal conservancy and to the military, I'm very hardly uh, conservative, very, very much conservative. Hmm. However... 
I'm starting to consider myself more of an independent, not so much on plain policy issues, but on the level of hostility that's been coming out of the Republican Party. Do you think the hostile rhetoric might also be pushing a lot of people towards the independent side, whereas before this level of rhetoric wasn't really seen there? Hey, stay on the line, Phil, because I want to ask you a question. Dr. McClellan? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it. I think, uh, you know, hostile rhetoric, uncivil uh, behavior, I think, does turn people off. People don't want to be associated with it. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, I, I would say, you know, of course, historically, uh, it, it, it seems as if it's, you know, gotten to a point that is unprecedented. But, uh, uh, you know, there were some pretty nasty things said and done by partisans, uh, uh, you know, back in the, the 60s, back in the 30s, uh, back in the 19th century. It, 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 goes, uh, it goes as far back as, as, as American politics. But, uh, uh, but we have it sort of in our face, you know, 24-7. Well, I think that's a key. Can I interrupt yeah. for just one second? Yeah. And Phil, again, I'm going to hold on the line here. But social media, yeah. I look at Facebook and Twitter, and I, I mean, I have seen people say, listen, I'm tired of talking politics because it is, it's constant. And when you say 24-7, you have the cable news channels. Mm -hmm. And this also gets back to what you were saying earlier about partisans being informed but one of the things we have seen is they're informed through the lenses of the fellow media, partisans right yep. the information that they get right they, so all these things mm -hmm. that's different than say the 40s 50s or 60s that's right i mean and you know when we started to see the the fragmentation of the media uh in the 1980s 1990s where we have you know when we go from broadcasting to more niche uh you know narrow casting and where you have the emergence of, you know, uh, of, of conservative media, whether it's Internet or Fox News uh, and liberal media in terms of MSNBC or social media, uh, then we have audiences that, you know, get information from people who agree with them and they don't have to be exposed to uh, uh, to what the other side is saying. So are then are they really informed? I mean, that's my question. Yeah. Informed meaning that they pay attention, but are they truly informed then? Well, in, in sort of the classic, you know, democratic notion uh, that you know, you're sort of supposed to consider all sides very thoughtfully, uh, I guess perhaps not. But on the other hand, you know, Americans have never necessarily been, you know, that well informed, uh, has never really necessarily been that ideological. We've been more or less a, a rather... Uh, pragmatic people who rather who tune, who tune in rather uh, intermittently into politics. So you know that's been relatively constant. But you know now I think uh, there is uh, there there is it's more of a uh, of, a, of a heightened atmosphere of uh, of a political talk that it's really kind of unavoidable. Well, yeah, is, it's in your face. Yeah. It's constant. All right, Phil. So here's my question. Yep. Um, what are you going to do as far as voting for president? Um, uh, the honest answer is I'm still trying to figure that out because on one hand, I personally, my, my honor code cannot allow me to support the things that Trump has been saying and the way which he's been handling his campaign, not only from the back in the primary, but even through until now. Like in um, the last week or so, yeah. Yeah, and particularly with how flip-floppy he's been on a lot of issues. Um, but on the other hand... 
Hillary has also done a lot of things, which, to be fair, politicians have been doing a lot of things for as long as we can remember. So <laughs> it's kind of a really hard decision, and I'm still in the air about it. I think that uh, you're one of many. Hey, thank you very much for your call. In fact, we have an email here from Jones says, I've always been registered as an independent, would never vote for that lying Clinton, but I find <laughs> Trump to be a big mouth bully, have voted every year since 1971, and, and have never voted for the winner yet, hoping this year's vote for Gary Johnson turns the tide. Well, there are, a lot, there are a lot of people, I think, that are looking in that direction. And you know, it's kind of hard if you're an independent actually to exercise influence. It's been, uh, as you know, in Pennsylvania, we have closed primaries. Uh, a lot of states have open primaries, or at least independents can participate. Uh, the two major parties make it hard for third parties, you know, more options to get on the ballot where people can express themselves. We have this uh, Commission on National Presidential Debates that has set this 15% uh, cutoff, and you know where that came from and why that is sort of, a, you know, sort of, you know, uh, you know, has some sort of scriptural uh, <laughs> importance. I don't know, but that's a very high bar, especially high bar. with the Greens and the Libertarians splitting, you know, third-party support. So uh, it's hard to actually stay or. Uh, to be involved as an independent with a lot of these obstacles in front of you. Think about it. Uh, Ross Perot uh, was probably, I can't remember any other uh, third-party candidate that uh, participated in the debates, at least if it wasn't in a primary or something like that. But no, in a primary they wouldn't. But uh, Ross Perot is really the only one I can think of here recently. And he was able you know, to poll, at least during the summer and into the fall, he was able to poll 20%. Or even more, he wound up with 19%, which is the largest showing since uh, Teddy Roosevelt and the Bull Moose Party. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and of course, you know, he was, you know, uh, hugely self-funded and was able to really get his message. You know, he, have, he would have these, you know, half-hour infomercials, mm -hmm. basically. And mm -hmm. uh, we have yeah. another email here that says, uh, "I am registered officially as a libertarian. However, I normally split my votes various ways." based on ideology of the uh, individual candidates, do I qualify as an independent? Uh, sure, sure. I, I would say, well, def definitionally, I think, at least in, in American politics, uh, those who are, in, who are supporting third parties, I think, um, well, on the one hand, you're a partisan. Obviously, you, you know, support a political party. On the other hand, you know, behaviorally, uh, you're outside the mainstream. All right, let's take a call from Eric in York. Eric, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I just want to um, say I moved up here from Alexandria, Virginia, 20 years ago. Um, I'm 45 years old. I registered as an independent, um, but I realized that I couldn't vote in the primary, so um, I registered as Democrat because... Um, my vote really wouldn't matter in the Republican primary. The people in my area vote very, very ultra-conservatively, and um, so it, it wouldn't even matter. My vote, I'm, a, I'm more of a um, culturally liberal, um, and I would say a common sense when it comes to fiscal matters. Um, the problem lately that i found is that um, factually and quantitatively when, and empirically, when we look at fiscal numbers, as interpreted by Republican politicians, they don't bear out in the facts from nonpartisan people who audit those uh, financial uh, systems, whether it be the debt or spending or anything of that nature. So I find it really hard as an 
as even though I consider myself an independent, to vote Republican these days because because they're not telling the truth. And um, you know, and uh, I, I I try to look at it very logically. And um, I'm having a really hard time right now because you know somebody like John Kasich, I could have voted for. I could have voted for him over Hillary Clinton because of all the things that people have said in the past or uh, previous callers have said about her. Uh, I do agree with that, but I'm leaning that way because uh, uh, the, the choice of Republicans made in the primaries isn't one that I would uh, necessarily make at all. So thanks for taking my call. All right, Eric. Thank you very much for your call. Well, this is part of the uh, the echo chamber effect that we were talking about where people are receiving their information from those who – uh, agree with them or have a vested interest in you know keeping them loyal to a particular point of view and uh, uh, you know unfortunately contrary to what uh, uh, the late Senator Pat Moynihan you know said I mean people you know may be entitled to their opinions but they can't or they're not entitled to their own facts well actually people are now you know sort of selecting out their own facts with the help of 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 of, of the media industry you know the partisan media industry so uh and you know, those the, facts might not actually be uh, factual they may not be factual and then what happens well then you know when uh, you know for Donald Trump you know when he's called out by organizations like Politifact or all kinds of fact checking organizations for having you know a majority of his statements being um uh, untruthful or not necessarily squaring with with reality, uh, his uh, you know his tactic is to blame the media, mm. uh, you know blame the referees, and uh, you know and he'll have people on his side, his own uh, uh, and, and Republicans generally or conservatives, and the same goes uh, with with liberals and Democrats. Uh, they'll have their own set of facts to support it. Mm. Let's take another call from Kelly. Uh, she's on the turnpike in Lancaster County. Kelly, you're on the air. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. And you're just welcome. let me say that I love your show and listen to it almost religiously. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so I have uh, one thought and one question. Um, was I don't, as, as a gay um, woman with a family, I don't feel socially comfortable hanging out with people who identify as conservative. I've found that um, I'm very often pushed to the side or marginalized or just outright insulted. So my question is, for most independents, does it come down to social issues or does it come down to economic issues? Great and I question. wonder about this because I feel comfortable hanging out with independents, even if I don't necessarily agree with their opinion. And I'll hey, take my answer off the well, air. Well, Kelly, before you do, are you leaning toward one candidate or the other? Uh, I almost always vote straight ticket Democrat, and that's simply because I believe that they have my interests in mind as an openly gay person. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, great question yeah. so, along social or economic lines. Well, this is part of the ideological sorting out, and one thing that emerged from the 1960s, 70s, and especially beginning in the Reagan era, uh, we begin to see the political parties sort themselves out uh, uh, on social issues ideologically. Uh, as you and some of our listeners may uh, recall, uh, for example, for the Equal Rights Amendment, which for guaranteeing equality for on the basis of sex, uh, the constitutional amendment, uh, 
Republicans and Democrats uh, had the same position. They were both in favor of President Ford. Uh, in 1976 and Jimmy Carter both were in favor of the ERA but beginning in 1980 with the rise of the moral majority uh, religious conservatives mobilizing uh, President Reagan you know uh, became an opponent of this we saw the two parties becoming uh, uh, very sharply different on abortion on gay rights gay marriage and uh, this I think uh, and I would probably agree with the caller that this um, it helped to you know create you know a more ideological and partisan atmosphere you know with with finances with money and you know the way Washington and Harrisburg works you know if it comes down to those sorts of issues and certainly there are people out there who are militantly you know anti-tax or anti-spending and that's 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 fine but for the most part the way Washington and Harrisburg works is okay you have this figure I have this figure. Uh, you know, let's come up with some other, you know, some figure that we can agree upon. And uh, but with issues such as social issues, where uh, you know they're highly emotional, uh, religious principles are involved, principles are involved, uh, you know, social lifestyles uh, are are involved. It's very, and even though you know, rationally we might see compromises on issues like abortion uh, or, uh, wait, wait, or, or wait, guns. Wait. Or, or, no, wait. Where are you going to find those compromises, well, <laughs> doctor? Well, because yeah. that's one issue right yeah. there yeah. that it may be the most divisive partisan issue of all. It, 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 it very well might be. But, I mean, you can see... Um, uh, I, I, let's, let's just say there's been efforts to look at a, a sort of a partisan middle ground, if, if not on abortion itself, say on, uh, you know, on, uh, on birth control. And, you know, there again. But in any case, uh, on those kinds of issues, then you do see this partisan sorting out. And I think the caller is right. I think it also then means that it has led to a social sorting out. And, uh, you know, as I described, where uh, people are uncomfortable hanging out with people, especially if they're going to, you know, parade their politics, uh, which also, you know, you know, so with the personal becoming political, uh, also may mean, you know, comments on lifestyles and, 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 and choices. Mm. Let's take a phone call from Bob in Hanover. Bob, you're on the air. Hi, gentlemen. Good morning. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, there's something um, I was thinking about regarding the fairness of the way the duopoly has, has generated its uh, empowerment, the, the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, when you look at uh, abusers, um, primarily male abusers and domestic abuse, they control their victims. Uh, they control who they see, where they go, and uh, the whole thing is to maintain a very tight uh, uh, manipulation at all times. And they've done that, the D's and R's by very carefully crafting who gets in to the primaries and and then who can actually be in the presidential debates, which are the televised final debates, which carry a large, um, uh, I think, significance for the people who are finally committing. And, and so what I'm trying to say here is that we've been, as the electorate, abused over the years. And for us to not actually call it for what it is, is to misrepresent it. Hey, Bob, thank you very much for your call. That's a different thought. Well, it is about control and, and dominance, and the two parties have made it very difficult, you know, for anyone to sort of enter uh, enter the club. And, you know, when there is, 
you know, as as always with uh, with with Mr. Trump, there is in some senses some things that are outrageous, but other things are, if you look at it in a different way, do uh, he he has a point when he says the you know the process is rigged. Well, if you look at it in one way, uh, in terms of two party dominance, for example. Uh, I mean, any political system, any political structure is going to you know, have some sort of bias. Uh, but with the way we you know, elect presidents, the way we elect members of Congress, where the incentives are really – there aren't really any incentives to, uh, to join or to mobilize uh, third parties. There's no payoff you get for voting third party because you'll be out of luck. You don't get to be part of a, of a coalition government or anything like that. Um, and the two parties themselves are fairly uh, – uh, Flexible in terms of being able to absorb third-party movements. Here you have uh, Bernie Sanders and his movement, uh, and a lot of his platform is pretty much now the Democratic platform. So the two parties are able to, you know, absorb you know uh, opposition parties, and you know in that sense, yeah, it, it, uh, the system uh, is uh, is tilted. Let's take a call from Bill in Harrisburg. Bill, you're on the air. Oh, thank you. Um- I have a question. Um, I'm a registered Democrat, but I ask this because I'd like to know what would happen if we ended the gerrymander? We're at the point now where the legislators have been selecting their own voters for years and years and years. And it's not the case that uh, both sides do it equally. They don't. You know, the Republicans do it more than the Democrats. They slice and dice, make worms. And we end up with people who are so strident on the right side, and they call people on the left side equally strident, even though they're not. Nothing can get done. There's no way anyone can can get an agenda through or uh, do anything. So what would happen if the gerrymander were ended? Would it make it easier for independents? Would it make it easier for people to elect reasonable representatives who can compromise? Another great question, Bill. Thank you very much for your call. Yes. uh, Thank you for that. Well, I think the issue is uh, establishing more competitive elections. If you establish more competitive elections, politicians have reasons to listen to the other side, to work with the other side, to build you know, broad-based coalitions that when they get into office, then they can uh, duplicate those things uh, by working with members of the, of the aisle and, and solving problems. Uh, the gerrymander is, uh, is an obstacle to this. And now, I... Wouldn't agree that Republicans are uh, are more guilty of this than Democrats, except that Republicans now control more state legislatures. So yes, at the present time they are, and you know, the technology now is much more sophisticated, where uh, those who are drawing district lines can really target uh, and and frame the districts that they want to create in order to you know maintain in, in order to win elections. Um, but you know, if you look at how the Democrats, who controlled Congress for over 50 years, uh, from the 1930s until the 1990s, uh, how they stayed in office, uh, you know, gerrymandering was was part of that. So, uh, whether it's through uh, judicial intervention or legislative intervention, and unfortunately in Pennsylvania, we don't have at least on this issue, we don't have you know initiative and referendum. Uh, you know, directly coming from voters. Uh, in some states, they have that, and they've been able to create bipartisan uh, legislative district uh, you know, committees. Uh, if we see more of that, then uh, 
uh, you know, then the possibilities for creating more competitive elections uh, are increased. Something um, report in the, the Washington Post, and I have to tell you that th this kind of blew me away. <laughs> in 2012, only 6% of congressional districts, that's 26 out of 435, went for one party in the presidential race and another when picking a House member. Right. What does that say? Well, it it illustrates sort of the myth of the independent voter in the sense of of how voters have, uh, even though they may say they're independent, uh, you know, are not you know are, are tending to vote you know sort of straight party one way or uh, one way or another. But it also, you know, as I say, we have fewer open seats. With fewer open seats, there are fewer opportunities for people to, you know, to vote in, in, in a different direction. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing whether independent voters truly are independent, and we're hearing from a lot of conflicted voters today. Our guest, Dr. E. Fletcher McClellan, professor of political science at Elizabethtown College. We welcome your questions and comments, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org or WITF's Facebook page. You get the phone number, 1-800-729-7532. And I should mention that WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the law firm of Saul Ewing, LLP. All right, let's take uh, some more phone calls here because we, well, let me do a, a couple emails before we uh, actually do that. Uh, Zach, a called earlier, was actually our first, uh, our first caller. We didn't find out what he was going to do uh, when it came to supporting candidates. He said, I'll be supporting and looking for independent candidates. I'm in favor of a more moderate third party as a major component of our government. The only way this can happen is if I vote. I don't consider this throwing my vote away. I, something that Zach brings up there that I did want to bring up when that I did want to address in this conversation is do independents, are there independents who identify as independent because they're moderates? You know, we talked earlier about rhinos. We talked about extremes. But is this one of the reasons that we are seeing more polls of people identifying themselves as independents? They're real. They really are moderates, and they don't want to go with either party. Uh, I'm, I'm, there are some of that to be sure. But you know, the research indicates that the leaning, uh, the partisan leaning independents are are fairly ideological. So independent and moderate are not necessarily the same thing. Now, uh, the callers that we've heard. Uh, I think a number of them, uh, you know, have positions on issues that kind of go against uh, the orthodoxy in each party. You could be, you know, a social liberal, for example, but you could also uh, be, you know, economically uh, conservative. Uh, we've got, you know, people who are very pro-military uh, and then domestic issues. Uh, they may be on different, uh, uh, in, in, in a different place. Uh, so it's hard for them to kind of sort out where they are, you know, given the party structure. Now, one thing that Mr. Trump has done, uh, he's shaken the whole uh, calculus because he's taking, you know, very un you know, anti-conservative or un-Republican, quote unquote, uh, positions. He's not wanting to privatize Social Security or Medicare. Uh, he's, you know, not in favor of free trade. He's not. Uh, he's considering massive, actually, from fairly large social uh, spending uh, projects on infrastructure. 
And I think this is, you know, shaking up the whole, uh, you know, uh, the whole matrix of, of uh, where voters are trying to sort of figure out where they are in, uh, in relation to uh, where the parties currently stand. We, I'm going to devote uh, the rest of the program to phone calls and emails, but mm -hmm. I just have one more question. Uh, we talk about ticket splitting. If right now, if you look at the polls across the country, uh, Donald, Paul, Donald Trump uh, is losing to Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, does that mean, when, in the context of this conversation, that Republican candidates down on the ballot could be in trouble? The answer is yes, especially in states. Uh, you know, we do have a number of senators in so-called blue states uh, who are Republicans. So New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Ohio, which are very competitive states, but nevertheless have been going Democratic in, in recent elections. So they've been exposed. And if uh, if we do see a wave either for Hillary or against Trump, uh, you know, these candidates could be uh, swept away. And I, and I should say that, you know, even though, you know, I've said that, you know, independence, true independence is, is kind of a rare thing. Uh, we should see more people, you know, conflicted this year than perhaps in previous elections because of, uh, well, Mr. Trump, for one thing, kind of shaking up the whole Republican and conservative universe. Uh, but we have the, uh, we do have these very competitive uh, senatorial elections, a few House elections where uh, it, and it's very possible that, say, by come October, if Mr. Trump doesn't improve his position, uh, the Republican National Committee is going to be pretty much supporting only uh, their congressional candidates to, you know, to hold on to one part of the government in Washington. And, you know, they will distance themselves from Trump. We've already seen a number of candidates do that. Uh, Mr. Toomey has a, a rather uh, uh, conflicted relationship himself with, with, with Mr. Trump. So uh, there'll be, you know, active efforts to encourage ticket splitting, especially by Republicans. Let's go to Warren in Elizabethtown. Warren, you're on the air. Okay, I think getting, you know, Warren had been on the air for a while, um, and was one of those uh, uh, callers said is a registered independent, will not vote for Trump, and isn't really excited about Hillary either, hmm. even though she said she used to be. All right, let's go to, let's see, Carla, I believe. Carla is in Lebanon. Carla, you're on the air. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, so I am a registered Democrat, um, and I've just been listening to your program and people talking about registering as independents. And I kind of feel that people who register as independents lose the ability to influence the political party, where they say they used to be a Democrat, but they don't like what the Democratic Party is doing now, and so they change their party preference. But don't don't you guys agree that they lose the opportunity to influence but you're talking those parties? You're, mo you're talking mostly about uh, the primaries, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. which is where decisions, I think, about the parties are made. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Yeah. If you're in a state like Pennsylvania where the primary is closed only to uh, declared partisans, I think you're right. Now, uh, if people who are independent-minded uh, nevertheless participate in primaries in one party or another, uh, we've seen in both parties this year uh, large insurgencies, the Sanders campaign on the Democratic side and the Trump campaign on the Republican side. 
So as I mentioned before, I think the political parties, uh, you know, are uh, at least you know, uh, at least uh, in the primary stages, as we saw this year, are fairly big tents that can absorb, uh, 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 you know, differing opinions. But you don't you don't agree with what you're saying that you lose your uh, uh, some of your or do you? Agree well, with that? well, uh, if if you remain independent uh, and can't participate in the primaries, then you've lost that uh, you've lost that option. Yeah. Let's talk to uh, Jim and Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Hi, Jim. Uh, uh, this is a great topic, and it's one of the great things about public radio that we're able to talk about these things in a, in a, uh, in, in a uh, sort of pleasant and non-confrontational manner. Thanks, um, let, let me just uh, make one point, uh, and that is that uh, that hasn't been made as, as much as it should have been. Pennsylvania has some of the poorest uh, electoral laws of any state in the union, in particular. Basically, what's happened in Pennsylvania is that the two political parties got together and agreed that it would be extremely difficult for independents and for third parties to succeed in Pennsylvania. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm registered with a particular uh, political party because, in my opinion, it's crazy to be a Democrat because uh, you, you know you basically don't have any rights in the primary election. And uh, there are a lot of states that have better rules, such as. Uh, states where you can change your registration at the polling place uh, and, and things like that. And we, those of us who are maybe in the middle of 30 or 40 percent, we really need to push our legislators to change the election laws to give independents and people who are in the moderate middle uh, more of a, a voice. Mm. Hey, Jim, thank you very much for your call. Is that one of the issues? Uh, absolutely. And I would add to that... Uh, Laws or the lack of laws in the state regarding political money. Uh, uh, you know, the two parties more or less monopolize money, and there really isn't a whole lot of, of limitations on how much you can raise and how much you can spend. Uh, there are states, uh, and Maine is a really good example, where there's a real tradition of political independence. Uh, Angus King was uh, elected as an independent uh, uh, governor, and then as a senator, switched now more or less. Uh, He's, he's become a Democrat. But nevertheless, in state like Maine, there is public funding, uh, which you know, was sort of part of our presidential campaign apparatus until, uh, you know, uh, among other things, the Supreme Court said that, you know, candidates could, uh, could raise a lot of their own money and spend it, and independent groups could raise a lot of their money and spend it independently. Uh, but, but nevertheless, and, and, and so they're really, at the presidential level, there really isn't a... a uh, very much of a campaign, and you had Citizens United, right. which which then uh, brought corporations uh, uh, and and the very wealthy in, in, into play. So, uh, you know, we did used to have a regime of uh, regulating campaign finance, uh, which gave uh, you know competitors a little bit more of a stake uh, in uh, elections, and uh, which helped to. Uh, at least to some extent, reduce the influence of special interests and and the very wealthy in the process. And you know, P Pennsylvania is pretty notoriously uh, you know at the other extreme. Let's take a call from Nick in Bainbridge. Nick, you're on the air. Uh, hi. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Uh, um, I'm a registered libertarian, which pretty much makes me an independent because mm -hmm. I can't vote in primaries. Um, consider myself a centrist. I'm believe in fiscally conservative and socially liberal um, kind of stuff. And I tend to vote 
with uh, Democrats because social issues affect me way more than economic issues. Being you know middle class, while that tax stuff and economic stuff doesn't affect my day to day life as much as the social issues do. Mm. So that's, okay. that's where I stand. All right, thank you very much. And uh, I, I, you, you seem to see, you seem to see a trend going that way. I mean, we know we have all kinds of people with all kinds of beliefs, mm-hmm. but uh, that's what you hear most often uh, from from those who are critical of the Republican Party, that it's social issues that they have a problem with. Right. And when they have a problem with Democrats, it's usually, well, it could be social right. issues, but it could be fiscal ones as well. Right. Let's take a phone call here from, let's see, who do we have? Uh, Gary. Gary is in Juniana. Gary, Gary, you're on the air. I'm just giggling because I just, I, I know everybody talks about the upper one-tenth of one percent. I think I'm in the lower one-tenth of one percent. <laughs> but anyway, I was wondering, what about, like, conspiracy guys that come out and say, um, with social media today, you know how easy it is to affect a whole lot of people very quickly. Suppose a whole lot of people, let's just pick Democrats versus Republicans. Supposedly, let's just say 10 million re, uh, Democrats switch their their affiliation, 30 or 60 days or whatever the rules are before the primary to affect the other party's candidate selection and then switched it back after the primary so that they could vote for, you know, the candidate that they wanted. But, again, trying to influence the other side to maybe pick a weaker candidate or whatever. And I know you're going to say it's crazy, but today with social media and whatever – Nothing's out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> hey, Gary, thank you very much for your call. Well, he it, talked about it being crazy, but there are people who have said that, uh, you know, they've done that in certain states. There are states with open or blanket primaries where, indeed, you know, as a, a, a Democrat, you can uh, participate in the Republican Party primary and cause a lot of mischief. And this is, you know, really the argument for closed primaries where, you know, partisans, people who are committed or loyal to the party, you know, can control at least uh, the nomination process and, and, uh, uh, but, uh, and, I, and the caller is right, I think with social media, it'd be, you know, easier uh, for uh, partisans to, or independents to, uh, uh, to play around with, with another party's primary. We only have about 45 seconds left. I'm not going to be able to get to any more calls, although we had a call from Tim, and I wanted to just bring this up um, because you explore this, the history of this partisanship mm-hmm. polarization. But he said he voted all over the board, but the election between Bush and Gore in 2000 totally changed right. him. In about 30 seconds, is there something that you can point to as to when we became so polarized? Well, I, I think the, the Gingrich years in the mid-90s, I think, really changed things in Washington. I think uh, the Gore-Bush election was uh, certainly, you know, uh, was extremely controversial and kind of hardened uh, positions. I think the emergence of the echo chamber media, I think, have kind of reinforced these positions. Dr. E. Fletcher McClellan, professor of political science at Elizabethtown College. If I go by phone calls and emails today, obviously a topic that our audience is very much interested in. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Coming up tomorrow, speaking of social media, trying to reach uh, those who may be HIV infected, reaching them through social media. 